brought to us today. Sermon brought to us today by Elder Barnabas Grayson entitled Things to Know. Things to know kind of fits with the song, doesn't it? I, well, I guess I ought to get rid of my gun. Reminds me of Branson for some reason. Yeah, I'm still not on, am I? Stand by. What, by what? What I stand by? Stand by. It's on stand by. How about now? There we go. <laughs> Field go. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you. Thanksgiving, of course, has come and gone, and I'm not looking much thinner. (laughs) I think I've had about six or seven turkey sandwiches since Thursday. (laughs) I had two late last night. So if I start gobbling up here, you'll know why. I also know that there's more left over in the fridge. It'll probably be, be there for a few more days. You know, uh, the turkey was, uh, at, you know, at first was proposed to be the national bird. And I guess the uh, bald eagle could be thankful, you know, or we'd have bald eagle on our table. I'm wearing uh, pants for the first time. I mean, <laughs> don't be... <laughs> The first time ever I put these pants on. <laughs> Carolyn bought them for me, oh, I guess about two or three months ago, and I said they're too tight. And uh, I decided I'd break them in anyway. So I, I, I put on these new pants, and we are talking about, you know, uh, turkey and all the swelling that goes along with it. And uh, I was thinking about uh, warning you about not standing too close to me. That squeak of leather may be that final strain before you just... (laughs) Well, there are a lot of things, of course, that we can be thankful for, even among some of the adversities that we face in life. Things such as we see in the book of 1 John. The title of this message is Things to Know. When you look through the book of 1 John, you may notice some key words like fellowship, and love. Things that, you know, one can consider as they go through in, you know, Bible study and meditation upon things that are important from the perspective of Jesus Christ and from those disciples who recorded his, his word and his life. Now, this epistle in 1 John doesn't really greet any particular church, although it was written, uh, what scholars say, near uh, the city of Ephesus. But we see that it is addressed to believers. Believers like, you know, you and me. And it is addressed with, you know, affectionate titles such as beloved and children, little children. Now, these words, we know, of course, are inspired by the Father in heaven, by Almighty God through Jesus Christ. And by going through this epistle we do see where John is coming through. We see uh, the purpose for his writing, that this letter is to all who are believers. In, ver- in the verses, uh, for example, in uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 4, he says these things 
write we unto you that your joy may be full. You know, one of the things about our life is that we all sometimes fall short of being Christ-like. And that's when things like thinking that God won't love us anymore if we do something contrary, if we do something in our life that might cause us to have doubt and the uncertainty of, of God's calling and His being with us. But these things are for us that our joy may be full. We know that there are a lot of things that come along that can take away that joy. The next purpose that we see in this verse is in chapter 2, 1. We're not going to go through the whole book of, uh, uh, of 1 John, but just uh, some places. My little children, in verse 1, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So that's the second thing, the second purpose, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And throughout uh, this epistle, we find things that we can do to overcome transgressing God's law. Like knowing, first of all, that God first loved us, even while we were yet sinners, and not knowing him. And we also see that we are to abide in him. Whereas in times past, we didn't really fully, completely abide in him until we came into the knowledge, the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then, in chapter 2, we also see this in verse 26. These things, talking about the pistol all throughout, have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And in chapter 5 and in verse 13, the purpose for the writing is to strengthen faith in Christ and assure them of eternal life, which is given to all who believe. Now, this epistle, we know, is from one who experienced the real Jesus, the real Christ, and he, along with others, are, have a collective thought in all this. And we know that we can trust what we read here. In chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. You know, that's Christ. Verse 2, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen, in verse 3, and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us to experience those things that they experience, but, you know, in an indirect way, only through their words, only through their description, can we, have we come to know Jesus Christ. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John here is expressing those collective thoughts of, you know, Christ's disciples, his apostles that were, that were with him. Now, this word know appears many times throughout or words like it because we know that to know is just to have knowledge of something. 
Now, we may know a little, we may know a not, but probably we can agree that we probably don't know enough. But chapter 3 is where we will begin uh, this afternoon in going into these words of Christ, these things to know. The Apostle Paul, remember, said that the greatest spiritual quality is love. And we see, and we can... Uh, and we understand that love is the glue, that's the adhesive that holds all things together, and that faith and hope are built on love. Love toward God, toward His Word, and to each other. Chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God, now, you know, uh, ladies, women, girls don't need to feel left out because we are all children of God. And sometimes when you think, well, you see the sons of God here, you think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm a girl, uh, uh, I'm left out. But we are the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us or knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now, this is something to wonder about when you see uh, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, given us, presented us with. And in my haste today, I forgot to bring a prop up here. You know how sometimes props kind of hold your attention for a while? So you'll just have to picture this, okay? A big red box, nice little gold lettering on it, unopened heavy. So you know there's something in there and, and it's come to you, to be given to you. And uh, so you kind of want to hurry up and open it. Well, we'll wait till the end of the, if I don't forget, we'll wait till the end of this message to open it. Maybe I can hold your attention a little bit longer. But this is something to wonder about. What kind of love is it that was manifested toward you and me, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, even if you come from, you fall. But God is love. That's the thing to know. God is love. So how was that love manifested to us? How is it that he bestowed this manner of love upon us? Chapter 4. Let's look at verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. That's why he sent Jesus Christ and bestowed his love upon us that we might live in this world. Might live through him, not of ourselves, but through him. Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atonement for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If not for God's love, we would just die in our sins. And we would only have this one life to live, but we have hope that our wrongs, all of our sins, 
God has forgiven because we are his children. And to know that he is not willing that any should perish. Of course, there are a lot of ways that, you know, a, a person can die. There are a lot of ways that, uh, in life that people can feel like they're dying. So, he's not willing that anyone should perish. If we love him, it's because he first loved us. And, and that while we were yet sinners and didn't know him. There was a time, I know in my life, when I didn't really know him. Although uh, my mother said she heard me praying at the age of five for my brother who was in the army. And um, singing songs before I was even baptized and going to church regularly. But there was a time that I didn't know all there was to know. And I don't still know all there is to know. But we love him because he first loved us while we were yet sinners. So behold, what manner of love is that? You look at some of the people on the street. The shoppers. We know that they have uh, various situations that they come from and in various conditions that we see them in. And, and, and you see the bell ringers that are out there and so you drop something you know, in the pot because you know that it's going to help people who need help. But everyone is beloved of God. God loves them even in their condition and in their situation, but the hope is that they will come to the full knowledge of the grace and knowledge that can be found in Jesus Christ. But <clears throat> just like us, they all have needs, they all have concerns, they all have need, uh, desires for help, as we all do. So you know that God has love for them no matter what station or condition they may be in. While God looks on the heart, he sees, and he wants to bring out that spiritual potential, that human potential also. But our tendency sometimes may be to disregard them because they may be strangers, because they're going off to their own places. But the eternal is not like that. He knows everyone who breathes life and he loves them, and we can be thankful that he reached down at some point in our life and led us to his son at some opportune time when we wanted and needed him. And his touch is upon us, upon our life today. In chapter 3, verse 1 again, what manner of love that we should be called the sons or the children of God. The Father in all his glory wants to share that with us. And you know how much weight that connection to God can carry. It is something he wants us to know. Now, you know, we don't go around introducing ourselves and say, hello, I, I'm the son of God. It's just something we know not to do. And we go the opposite direction. And, but we can see even in the fruits of others who are even may not be the uh, the. Uh, uh, part of this congregation, but we can see in their fruits that they are basically have been taught right and wrong. They know to do good, and a lot of them do it, but just like, you know, we human beings, we fall short 
But what is it that makes us the Son of God? John chapter 1, uh, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, that believe on his authority, that believe in his power, that believe in his forgiveness and believe in his love that should be practiced as a way of life. Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's an awesome thing to know that it was God's very will for man to come to him and be a son of which there are many. And he has invested a personal interest in you. The Apostle Paul claimed to be the least of all saints. And we may see where he's coming from if we were to lay all of our sins on the table. If we had a table here and everybody brought the sins that they know of, laid them on the table, there would be different sized stacks. Some of you who came into the church at a younger age may have, you know, less sins that you know of. But someone like me who's nearing 100, <laughs> very quickly, may have a stack this tall. But we all have sins that have come before God that he has forgiven us of. So it's most likely to say that one who repents at the age, say, of 80 years old will likely have a big, tall stack than one who repents at a younger age and his life is covered by the blood of Christ since then. But I picture all of those sins that you present, and you don't have to do that, but they're all rolled up into a ball, wadded up, and tossed into that wastebasket nearby to where they're just forgotten, thrown away, to be no more remembered because they are forgiven and put away as far as the east is from the west. Sometimes I would hold the attention, which is really rare to do, but so I would resort to little childish things. I would wad up a piece of paper and uh, there, the wastebasket would be, uh, you know, some distance away and I needed to give it a hook shot or try to flick it into the wastebasket and I wouldn't, I wasn't very good at making it. But they watched to see if I would make it. <laughs> and you'd be surprised at some of the comments they'd say, uh, you're going to have to get better, Mr. Grayson. Or, uh, you were better yesterday than you are today. <laughs> and they would say, well, um, can we do it? <laughs> I said, no, that's against the rules. I might get in trouble. But I can picture those, all those sins that we have. You know, the sins that you have, the sins that I have, they're all wadded up, thrown away. Scripture tells us that sin in one area is, you know, sin in all areas. But God willed to love and to have mercy toward us and to give us his grace. Romans chapter 8, verse 12, actually verse, yeah, 12. 
Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, kill the deeds of the body, you shall live. You know, the body, uh, our flesh, our lusts, our wants, our desires, our needs, you know, them all being personal, you know, takes first place in our life. And sometimes they are good, sometimes they are bad. And we know that we need to mortify those bad deeds. Uh, let me back up to verse uh, 10 here in Romans. If Christ be in you, it says, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of li is life because of righteousness. That's the righteousness of Christ that is in us. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. If the spirit of Jesus, of, of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that uh, raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So that Holy Spirit is dwelling in all believers. That Holy Spirit is the assurance that God is with them, that God has favor upon them as their children and will raise them up whenever that time comes. Let's go to verse 14 again. <clears throat> For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Those that are uh, led by the Spirit of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, or Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So I, I, I'm pretty sure that we all believe that we are the children of God because our spirit tells us, our emotions tell us, our feelings tell us. And it's personal. But we also know that that same feeling is in others. And if children, then heirs. Wouldn't you like to be an heir of some great mansion or some other place or then you know when some people uh, inherit a lot of things it really changes their attitude they kind of want to you know go out and experiment with all the, uh, the worldly goods they might have but we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together so there are times when we suffer. There are times when we have to endure trials. There are times when, you know, things just happen to us that it, we don't really want it to. But it does. And so we suffer. But we endure because we have a hope that is in Jesus Christ and that there's a time coming when we're going to be glorified together. For I reckon in verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We've seen that in our sonship with God that there are certain ways to walk in. That a, a, a child who is a child of God has a path that God has directed. And we see in verse 14 that we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? To the extent of, you know, someone being unbelievers, you know, we think, well, they don't believe in the Sabbath, they don't believe in the holy days, and, you know, you can still get along if the Spirit of God dwells in you. You can still get, get along, but when their ways begin to rub off on you and you partake in their way of life, then you become unequally yoked with them. What concord, verse 15, has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be you separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You may remember the prodigal son who went astray, lured by the temptations of the world after he uh, got his uh, share of uh, the inheritance. He went out. But you know what happened? He, he hit bottom, which can happen to anyone who compromises his faith and standing with God. But we also see that as a father loves his children and pities his children, that God was patient, that the father was patient in waiting on his son and forgiving him when the son returned in sincere repentance and was safe. In those days, you didn't have the telephone, you didn't have the cell phone, you didn't have the email, you didn't have all those things that could let your parents know where you were at the time, and so they had to have patience, they had to have Trust that God would be watching over you when you were late past the hour that was due or that you knew uh, your child was going somewhere you really didn't want him to go. And so you waited. You looked every day. You kept the porch light on. And you looked for him to return. That's what happens sometimes in our lives. We, we sometimes stray. But we have the love of our Father that will, with open arms, welcome us and have, you know, a Thanksgiving feast. Let's go back to 1 John 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 2. <clears throat> Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not appear, yet appear, what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So how are we to be? We're to be Christ-like. That's, that's the aim of walking in the Spirit and in the faith as sons of God, as children of God, to be Christ-like. Won't turn there, but you are familiar with Galatians 5. And this tells us what the qualities of the Holy Spirit are that was in Jesus Christ. Love, joy, peace, so on, which has to be exercised. It doesn't come automatically. You have to acquire them over time, over experience. Those things, you know, uh, uh, are things that we have to exercise. And even though sometimes it's like uh, as you get older, uh, I used to bicycle around 10 miles four days a week. I used to jog at least one or two miles. 
I used to play basketball, tennis, and do all those things just to keep in shape and have fun doing it. So I had, you know, uh, a little bit of uh, muscle tonage, and now I've got a lot of table muscles <laughs> that I can be proud of. <laughs> and, but when you stop exercising because your knees can't take it anymore, or you think, well, you're running one day, and, and all of a sudden you think, what am I doing this for? And you stop. You remember Forrest Gump, you know, he was running all over the place, and he came to that point, and all of a sudden, he just quit. <laughs> Had everybody falling, falling him. He just quit, got tired of running. He did what he needed to do. But, you know, we know that in our Christian life, in our aim toward being Christ-like, we have to keep in practice. We have to exercise uh, the Spirit of God, and we have to do those things. Verse 3, and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So to, to imitate Christ and to be Christ-like, we do those things that show, that show that he shows us is his will. Verse 4, but whoever commits transgression, this is in 1 John 3, but who, whosoever commits Sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. We know that. This we all have done and do at times in our life, and hopefully not willingly. And you know that Christ was manifested to take away those sins. And in him, because in him is no sin, and he can rightfully do that. So, what, whatever that pile of sin was, we know is taken away. But, you know, being human, and like King David, he said his sins are ever before him. There are some things that we just can't, you know, push off a plate real easy. It's ever before us. But our faith and our believing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, know, uh, the thing to know is that he has thrown those sins away. Even though we may, in our minds, sometimes bring it up, but it's sometimes that's, you know, Satan the devil saying, hey, you remember when you did this or did that? And you start to feel guilty about it and feel like you haven't really repented of it because it keeps coming back. But David was a man after God's own heart. And in a, you know, a, a message some time back, we, we know he made mistakes. But he was a man after God's own heart, his way, his, his life. Whosoever abides in him sinneth not. Are you abiding in Christ? Is he dwelling in you? Then it says, Whoever ab whosoever abides in him sinneth not. And whoever sinneth not, or sinneth, has not seen him, neither known him. So as long as we walk in his word and in his life, striving for Christ, Christ-like things, he is just to forgive our sins and see us as his children without sin. Verse 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the devil, for the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So the law of God was put into our mind 
and our heart. Uh oh. Inky. I feel like I feel like I need to sneeze, so wait a minute. Pardon me, I'm sorry. There. Lost my place here. Oh, so uh, <clears throat> whatever that pile of sin was ta is ta we had, it's taken away. And we abide in him. As long as we walk in him, he is just to forgive us and see us as his children. He, and to let no man deceive you. The law of God was put into our mind and hearts, and they remind us of the way we go. We have pictures on a wall, you know. In your home, you have pictures on a wall. We hang them up. They remind us of certain things. They remind us of our loved ones. And we put them up so that they will hang without falling. And you have to have sometimes a right, uh, the right strength of nail and hook to make sure it doesn't, doesn't tumble down. And so the law of God that he gave to us is fastened in our heart that it may remain. And whosoever is born of God, in verse 9, does not commit sin. For his seed remains in him. You know, the seed, uh, that's the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. His seed, the Holy Spirit, given upon repentance, is also his mercy and his love toward, toward us toward the sons of God, toward the children of God. And he favors his children who are trying to do what is right. He knows it's not easy, and he pities his children. He knows their frame, and in him they can do no wrong as long as they walk in his spirit. Those are powerful things to know. They lead us from darkness into light, only if we walk in them. Because sometimes we leave that light, and we choose to walk, in those dark areas or those shady areas because you know there's that little borderline between right and wrong of, uh, of doing right or doing wrong and it's a choice in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil whosoever does not righteousness of course is not of God neither he that loves not his brother Verse 11, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Love as God does toward us. You know, love is a two-way street toward each other. Understanding is a two-way street. Forgiveness is a two-way street. Being Christ-like in our aim is our, is our goal. And we don't always hit the mark because, you know, who's perfect? Tell me who's perfect. In archery, you know, in order to hit the bullseye, at some distance, you have to aim high so that it would take, you know, that, that right course down into the target area. And you don't always hit the, you know, the bullseye. You may hit some little zones on the outside and still score and get some points, like in darts. But it's only through much practice that we can get good at it. And maybe some do get, uh, get perfect at it. And let's just say that your aim today, or you wake up some morning and you're going to say, I, I, I'm making it my aim to be more happy rather than non-joyful. And so you have to exercise it. And you have to uh, 
resist the things that might cause you to miss the mark. And we know that in life, there are always going to be opposites to take you off your course. But like in archery, again, you don't just aim and shoot one arrow. You have a quiver of more arrows to continue to get better. So we may miss the mark over and over, but don't give up. Aim high for Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, uh, let's see, verse 10. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we know that the things we need to know is from what we know about Christ and the knowledge that he uh, gives us. Verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Given us all things that pertain unto life. You know, the Bible is uh, thick words, lessons, things that we are to apply in our life. Things that pertain unto life and godliness. Uh, verse 4, whereby are we given unto, whereby are given unto us exceeding great, beyond great, and precious promises. You know when something is precious, you want to hold on to it, you adore it, you cherish it, you don't let it go like that big red box that you're about to open here in a little bit. In your mind, of course. Where, uh, and beside, let's see, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you, in verse 8, and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten <clears throat> that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. Back to 1 John, chapter 3 again, verse 3. And we read where every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure as Christ. So, you know, we, there's spiritual cleansing sometimes we need to do. We need to think about ourselves. We need to look at ourselves or, or whatever it is that might be troubling us or trials and troubles, uh, our lacks. There's a spiritual cleansing in which we, you know, wipe adverse things out of our mind. It's like a bath, you know, in water and, and a physical cleansing. Things that we should not neglect to do. When I was, uh, you know, still teaching... I took a shower every morning. 
and uh, not so much now. <laughs> but every morning I would take a shower. My last shower was about four days ago, so <laughs> I'm kidding. I made sure I took a shower. Sometimes that doesn't even help. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, there are times when we need to cleanse our mind and our bodies. And when you're there in the shower, you, you, uh, you know, you think about that cleansing. There's a spiritual cleansing. And you know, when sometimes in, uh, you think about something that comes to your mind, it might be some lack or, or something that you might be doing wrong that kind of plagues you or and that you want to get it corrected. And so you cleanse and you go uh, get on your knees and pray. You know, uh, uh, my wife, uh, Carolyn, you know, had the, had the prayer for our, our two grandsons. And uh, I went over to visit the, the one-year-old uh, last night. And, and he, was, uh, he called me on the phone and he said, Dad, I'm, I'm really glad you came by. And he said, we're, we're both thankful that you came to see Kyler. He, he, you know, he's just a little red-faced kid, one-year-old, a little over a year. I brought him a little toy. And that meant a lot to him. And, and I said, you know, sometimes these trials are things that have to run their course. But in the meantime, the thing to do is to pray and to hold on to the faith in waiting for it uh, the things that you want to come about. And he said, when Tyler ran, uh, Kyler ran about 100 and I think 102 last night, uh, he said he prayed. And, you know, to hear him saying that he was looking toward God, toward the Father, to do something that he or, you know, what some pill or what some shot or what something else could not do, he was depending on the Father. And, you know, that encourages me also. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verse 16, you know, talking about a spiritual cleansing. You know, it's only sometimes when we have needs and when we have concerns that we look, we, we start looking for Christ to help us out, to get us out of the mess and so on. Verse 15, and when you spread forth your hands, he, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands because your hands are full of blood. And this really concerns many who are, you know, carrying on in sin, who are making that a way uh, of conduct. And so we're told in verse 16 to wash, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the eternal. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So God shows his love, reaches out to those who open their minds to his will, to his presence, to his existence. But still, there are many who turn away. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21. Well, let me begin in verse 19. Yes. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, 
The Lord knows them that are his. He knows you because you are his. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from lawlessness, from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. And if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. John chapter 4, verse 7. So, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He can't get through that armor. He may try in many ways, but if your armor is up and in the right place, he, he realizes in due time that he's not going to break you. And so he'll just flee from you. Go, go find somebody else of a, of a weaker uh, position. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And you know, it, it begins... Uh, with our drawing nigh to God. Then he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So here are some things to know. And I'm not quite through yet. I hope I'll hold your attention. Remember that little red gut box there. Here are some things to know. One, 1 John 2, 9. Now, little children, Abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So we see if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteous is born of him. The second thing to know, and I've got 15 more after this. First John 3, 2, the second one. Beloved... And this is uh, chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, it's good to know this. Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Third thing, 1 John 3, 5. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. So, you know, we want to avoid doing that. That's one of the important things to know. And... To know that he was manifested to take away our sins and to cleanse us in his sight. Next thing, 1 John 3.14. We know that we have passed from death to life by our belief, by our following the ways of Jesus Christ that we have passed from death unto life. Because, you know, sin is what causes uh, a death. But, you know, God is not willing that any should uh, perish. We, have, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. But he that loves not his brother abides in death. So we are to be as Christ and children of God in that we not let hatred or animosity for whatever cause bring God's displeasure. But whoever, whosoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life 
for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, take whatever time, take whatever effort, take whatever uh, nice word or whatever to sort of not be involved in just ourselves, but in the lives of others. I mean, not, you know, like a meddling person or somebody who's nosy and just, you know, wants to know everything that you do and about you. 1 John uh, 5.13, thing to know, verse 11. Let me start in verse 11. And this is a record that God has given us, given to us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son of God doesn't have life. These things, verse 13, have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God. You know, believe in his authority, believe in his power. That you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the uh, name of the Son of God. And this is a confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know, if we know that he hears us, whatever, soever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So we can be certain in knowing that God does hear, hear us. And he answers our prayer. It may not be a sudden answer. It may take a while. A lifetime perhaps, but he answers. He sees our need as a loving God. However, he is, you know, compassionate. We all have trials, which takes endurance and sometimes almost every last ounce of resolve and faith to have to continue in a Christ-like way. You know, at present, uh, you know, I've told you, I, I have, you know, two grandchildren who are suffering from up and down fever. And, you know, you hate to see that in, in, in any loved one that is real close to you. And, and you know what it's like. And we can sympathize with others who have those ups and downs of, of uh, disease and so on. You know, some of you also have loved ones who may be sick and in need. And... In the prayer list, we think about those whose names are there and whose names have been there for quite a long time. And of course, there are those who, uh, whose names are not on there, who are in various trials. And so we bring them up, you know, when we, do, uh, when we have uh, prayer, uh, prayer for the sick during, during the services. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, Verse 18, he said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We are expected to overcome and be Christ-like in love. It is an aim that calls for aiming high. Verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. That, you know, that... That's saying that the creation waits in eager anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's you because you are built on love for God and for neighbor. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, that is, the redemption of our body, which, you know, which we know is coming at the resurrection. Have you ever seen the ad that St. John's put on TV, and you see these precious little children, 
and many of them terminally ill, but doing the best they can to smile and to walk. You know, it can make you groan. It can make you want the kingdom of heaven, and I'm always touched by them, and so I know I just sort of uh, now have to just sort of turn away because the only hope that we have is in Jesus Christ. And when I think about the problems and trials I think I have in light of what others are suffering, they don't seem so much in comparison. And we know that the world, with all, it, with all its people in various conditions and situations, they all feel and know that there is a need for good to come in their life and that the pains and sufferings that they feel will be alleviated and that there be peace and so on to come from somewhere. They may not know exactly where or how, but that somewhere is in the eternal and in you as sons of the Almighty Father. The Father knows the situations going on in this world. He knows the depth and he knows the breadth of it. He knows you and me just as he knows keeps count of the birds. But he has a predetermined time, yet future, in which the things that this world longs for and what we hope for waits for the Son of God to be, uh, Son of God to be revealed. So he has a, also has a predetermined people that must uh, meet and take up his call to be a son unto him. So, 1 John 3, 1, in closing. Before I do, let's open that gift. Oh, I could use this right here. When I got this gift, it was uh, kind of like a send-off. <laughs> and uh, it was heavy. It was, you know, nice red box. And I opened it up, and inside was a nice, shiny, red, gold, uh, red apple and on top a golden stem and, and the box said uh, something like master teacher or something like that but anyway I, that was a, a great gift but can you picture the gift that Jesus Christ is going to give you for having overcome all of these things that we face in life and there are more trials and troubles that can that will come so, in closing, verse John, 1 John 3, 1. So, look, look. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. So, we're to be thankful for that love and to have the same for each other. To love as God loves us in all our faults and in all our weaknesses as sons of God. What a wondrous thing there is to know about all these.